friends. Welcome to Episode 7 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Sally Adams, and I've taught people how to produce original work for the stage for over 30 years. If you go to sallypal.com, you'll find my blog as well as my podcast. You'll also find Sally Pal on Podbean, iTunes, and now on Stitcher. Please be sure and share the blog and the podcast. I really appreciate the shares and suggestions. Today's episode is an interview with actor, director, playwright, and University of Tulsa Women's Studies professor, Lisa Wilson. Lisa is a recipient of the prestigious Jingle Feldman Individual Artist Award for her original one-woman show, Only Four People Know About This. Birthing the Crone is the second in a series she has titled The Crone Chronicles. We talk about her show, how women's voices need to be heard, and the effect of aging and loss on the artistic process. Be sure to listen until the end for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Circumstance may separate us, but I can feel you in the room. And every day our prayers create us, and love is free to bloom. I am a glass so fill me up, but there is always more. I never lose a single drop when I begin to. I am so delighted to have as my guest today Lisa Wilson, who is a preeminent actor, director, an amazing, amazing voice for women in culture, in theater specifically. And I watched today for the first time your one woman show, Birthing the Crone. Birthing the Crone. I was so moved. At one point, I'm sobbing sobbing. It's so beautiful. And then there were moments when I was laughing out loud. I am curious, what moved you to write that piece in particular? I call it part of the Crone Chronicles. There was a, a previous one-woman show I did, which was called Only Four People Know About This. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then I told everybody. Uh, so, yeah, it was about my uh, hitting, you know, perimenopause and menopause and hitting that point in life where you go, whoa, life is changing. That, uh, you know, what do you do when you're not what you used to be anymore? And I won a Jingle Feldman Award that was awarded for that show that I had entered it. And I, I knew that I wanted to take my one-person show to the Edinburgh Festival. And I thought, I'll do a little bit of rewriting. I'll do a little bit of massaging. I'll do a little bit of whatevering. And my sister died before. And that was a huge boom impact in my life. It was a really, really unexpected thing because she was only 50. And then my mother died, I say, of a broken heart because literally her heart started to get a lot worse. We went from going to the doctor telling me she's probably got four months to live and her husband, who's my stepdad, who I loved dearly, he died this last year, Ralph. I loved Ralph dearly. Ralph just couldn't get that she was going to die. And I made all these plans to go to Edinburgh, and I'm going, I can't do this. I can't get this done. Then, and my mother's going, yes, you are. You're going to go. You're going to go there. You're just going to go. When she died, it was like, I have to not only go, but I can't do the show that I did before. I have to write the show I need to write now. And I sat down and rewrote two-thirds of the show. Went to um, a friend of mine's theater up in Vermont. 
and previewed the show up in Vermont and then came back and took it to Edinburgh and did it for three weeks in Edinburgh and then came back here. And I, I did it back here once and I've done it once in, in Memphis the year after. So, Do you imagine um, ever taking this somewhere like Chicago or New York? Or I have looked at some of their festivals. The New York festivals are really kind of aimed at New Yorkers. There's one more. I know there's one more. Mm -hmm. I know there's another Crone Chronicle. I know there's a third one. So It's also, I think, an important piece. I think it speaks to some issues that a lot of women deal with, and it deals with our place with our mother and our place with our siblings and our place with how we fit into this patriarchal culture and claiming ourselves, our names, ourselves, who we are, what we want to be and our right to be here. I know you're teaching women's studies now. So how do you incorporate this conversation with students who are the ages of your kids for the place of the woman who is aging in our culture? Well, it is part of the conversation because the students who are that young, some of them, of course, have mothers that are, are younger than me, and some of them have mothers that are my age, and some of them have grandmothers that are my age. And as we talk about health care, and in the intro to women's studies course, we talk about poverty levels and we talk about what the minimum wage does to women and children in particular. We talk about the laws and what that has done and is doing to women and continues to do and all kinds of things that are impacting women still in society and where we're taking steps backwards instead of forwards. It helps them to understand that when I say, okay, in 1972, I was in college. In 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed. Hmm. In 1972, I can remember taking up a collection for a young woman who needed to have a legal abortion. So let's talk about what's happening with the health care and reproduction access at this point in time in our lives when we're now down to only one free clinic in Oklahoma that you can't get to. This year when I saw two women on stage discussing their plays during the Tony Awards, I was very encouraged by that because I've never seen that before. It's been, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. There's a, there's a campaign called 50 by 2020, trying to get 50% representation of women's plays by 2020. It's important in boardrooms, it's important on the stage, it's important to see that when you look at TV that there really are more faces that are more colors, that are more ages, that are more sizes, that are real and are not all bimbos and they don't all have v-neck sweaters they're real people with intelligence and real problems and they should make the same amount of money for the same kind of work and that they should be respected some of the young people that i get in my classes it's kind of an awakening to have somebody tell them that and i try to do that as nicely as possible but in doing birthing the crone I needed to say those things I needed to tell those stories because they were stories that were about what family does to each other and how they can and cannot support each other at times how they lose each other how you wish you were there for each other at times and you can't be mm -hmm. and how along the way you simply you make your family as you go. The journey that we make along the way, we all have to do the best that we can do. And we have to appreciate 
who we encounter along the way. And sometimes if we're not careful, we miss out on some of the best people, and some of the best people are actually in our families. One of the most moving things for me about this is making sure that voices that don't often get heard get heard. It's making sure that they get heard in characters on the stage, Mm -hmm. that they get heard as directors, that they get heard as designers, yes, costume designers, but other designers as well, that they are board members that count that if you have an idea and you want to produce it, that you find a way and you find some people who are going to encourage you to do that and you find a place to do it. Get people to think in terms of this being a doable thing. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give someone who has something to say? When I wrote both of these, um, it seemed like an ominous task. And then I sat down and said, wait a minute, what do I want to write? Because I've always wrote poetry when I was younger. And so I started writing what I called riffs. But I would write a riff on something. So Mm -hmm. I would write a couple of pages that had to do with the thing I wanted to talk about. And then I would read it and make sure that it was speakable because it has to be speakable. And any place that I could tell the story, that it was a storyteller's tale. The riffs, all of that, from the the, uh, cheerleader opening, the whole menopause thing, all the way through to that moment when she said, I'm not angry, I'm scared. I know it's your life, but I feel like you created such a real character that it's a a separate being, really, that stage person. Just as honest, just as truthful, but not necessarily the Lisa Wilson I'm talking to right now. It is portions of me telling the portions of my life and the story and the portions of the tale that are amplified. And as we all take our own tales and amplify them, in my mind, they're absolutely epically true, but... Uh, you know, I can I can tell you, I can still see my three nieces racing down the hallway in the hospital and throwing themselves onto my sister's bed when she's already <laughs> had the plug pulled, you know, and we've already said goodbye. I mean, it wasn't funny, but it's looking back. I mean, really? <laughs> Does it have to be this? My mother gets her a cancer surgery on her face. And then we have a picture back at the house of my sister and I, and we're teasing each other. And we had the best Mother's Day in that day. And that whole week, she said goodbye to everybody. And it was a space and time I'm grateful for. But I'm so mad that I didn't have years of it. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that's what I haven't gotten rid of. Yeah. I, I wonder if you ever will. I don't. I don't know that I will, because I know that there's a part of me that feels like, why couldn't I make it better, or why couldn't I fix it, because that's just my nature. You talk about things in your play that don't get talked about very often. Yes. We can encourage people to tell those stories, because so many of us are hiding, thinking nobody else understands this experience that I'm having. And if we keep encouraging these stories keep telling people keep working at it get better at it keep putting it out there and start supporting that but i feel like there are stories that are particular to women's culture that women are better equipped to tell oh i think so i think so i think that we tell a version of a story that's different than the man is going to tell, just as a man tells a different version of the story than the woman's going to tell. I mean, when you look at August Osage County, for example, that's Tracy Lett's version, but it's a male's tale. Mm-hmm. 
even though you got all the girls in the family, yeah. it's a man's telling. Yeah. You make it your own as a female when you when you play it, but it's a man's telling. How was that taking on the role of Violet? When I see you in person, you seem young for the role, but on stage, you embodied the character. It was it was wonderful. It was amazing. I can't imagine that it wasn't just exhausting. You step inside of who she is and her frustration and pain and inversion of everybody letting her down and not being there and those pills I mean the distortion of all of that mm -hmm. and the vying them between her and Barbara you know for control so that at the end all she's got is is Joanne the, the young Indian woman you know and you realize how absolutely vulnerable Violet is. If you haven't realized it before then, she really needs somebody. She has screwed up big time, and she really didn't mean to do what she did. Not that she could apologize for it, but she really didn't think that was going to happen. I loved hearing you talk about your boys and your husband, and it feels to me like you are in this world of men. Clearly, you have men who are sensitive. I, I hope I've made it clear how beautiful I thought that piece was. Is is a theater of your own a possibility, a small space? Oh, at one point in time, I thought it might be to have a women's theater. And my life took another turn. And I wound up with a turn I didn't expect, which took me to doing more women's studies and still directing and doing acting. I just finished doing In the Next Room, and it went very, very well. When you're running your own theater, I mean, that winds up being your whole life. You're really doing management stuff. Because I worked for a theater company for about a year and a half before I came to to you. And it, even doing that, just working for the theater company was, you know, 14, 16-hour days as usual. And I was young back then. <laughs> what do you think the direction that would be it, your dream for women in theater particularly, and for theater in general. What direction do you see being the right direction? I wish there were fewer musicals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I wish there were fewer touring musicals. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. If you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you're just as likely to think that the only thing that's in town is to go see what's on tours that are coming in from broadwaywhatever.com, and that's it. And you've never seen a real play since you were in eighth grade. That's awful sad. And I started doing children's theater when I was, I went from being a dancer to doing children's theater when I was 14. And I was doing between four and five plays a year, and each one of the plays ran 30 performances. Wow. So that was my training was at the Nashville Children's Theater, which is one of the more successful children's theaters in the United States. Yeah. And then I went to high school, and the year that busing happened in Nashville was my senior year in high school. And I went to a brand-new magnet school. The man who was in charge of the theater program there had come from UCLA. He had at one point in time been part of the James Joyce Liquid Memorial Theater in New York. He's a great guy. He's still he's still around and about. We did Romeo and Juliet, and we did you know he did a extravaganza at the end of the year. We did a studio production of Look Homeward Angel. I was seventeen and playing the nurse, and I was seventeen and playing the mother in Look Homeward Angel because I've been a character actress all my life. 
you truly are a character actress. Like you, you shift, like you're a shapeshifter in many ways. I'm just thrilled to see so many powerful women taking the stage now and women who don't necessarily fill that pretty tall blonde position yeah. on stage. They're not necessarily the beauty queen. They're people who have character and are interesting looking and have character in their faces and they, they've lived a few years. It's nice to have that. Say something about the recognitions that Birthing the Crone has received because I think that is pretty valuable. The Jingle Feldman Award was an individual artist award and I submitted the earlier version of my first Crone Chronicle for consideration so they could look at what I personally have done as an artist and I was really quite honored that I received the award that year and that came with a monetary prize. I took and looked at Shakespeare things around Oklahoma because at that time I was thinking well I'd love to have a Shakespeare here again and after I went and looked around quite a bit I kind of went well they've got Oklahoma City that's working okay and they have one over in Arkansas that's working okay maybe we don't need one here and then about two years later two other people tried to create one and they're still working on that here. And I took the rest of the money along with uh, some grant money that I got that was recognition for what I was doing and for having written my new show and was able to go to the Edinburgh Festival with support from the university. It's very important. Learning how to put together little grants is, is important. Learning how to be able to do that <laughs> and learning how to go to your friend and go, can you help me put this poster together? Can you help me put this together? And here's my idea. Is this insane? I'm giving birth to myself, and I want you to cut it together this way. And they go, huh? And you go, trust me, this is what I want it to do. I found out somebody was showing it on some weird late night show at midnight about a year ago. They were going, have you seen this poster? And it was... <laughs> It was very strange. For me, the theater has always been one of the most spiritual places I've ever able to go. I'm at home there. Yeah, I get that. I truly do. I've told my students often enough that our telling stories is how we hold our culture together. How we tell each other who we are. Exactly. And I think that is why we need to hear these voices. Otherwise, we won't know who we are. Voices need to be voices that you haven't heard before, voices that tell stories that sometimes are not comfortable stories, and sometimes they are outrageous stories, and sometimes they are stories that you go, oh, you don't mean that. You do mean that. Oh my goodness, really? Oh, well, let me tell you about this. So that you go away and you talk about it afterwards. Right. Will, my son, who's in a playwriting program, has said his goal is to write a play that will start a conversation in the car ride home. Or yeah. an argument. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, please, for goodness sakes, don't go, oh, that was fine. That was nice. Was that it? was good. Wasn't that interesting? How did they memorize all those lines? How did you learn all those lines? <laughs> Lisa, I, I don't know if there's anything else that you would like to share. I discovered that crone is not a bad word. You know, I can stand over and put my nose next to my shins when I bend right all the way over. I can still do all this stuff in yoga more than I could do when I was 20 years old. And I'm a much more interesting person than I was when I was 20 years old. The play is about, in a lot of ways, recognizing your own humanity. So that the stories that are the stories of your own life for people who are looking for what they're going to tell, you're going to have to tell what you know. So you have to start with what your own stories are. And that's where I started, was what are 
my stories and what are my stories that I'm solving or what are my untold stories or what are my stories that my poor husband is holding he's ready for me to stop telling him he's put up with you know I feel you so (laughs) well thank you again thank you so much and thank you for your work for decades of wonderful work. I'm sorry I haven't seen it all, but for what I have seen, I've been so grateful. I think you've given so much to us. Wow. Now it's time for concise advice from the interview. Ooh. A short version of the best tips from my guest. Get up. Get up. Today, I have nine great bits of advice from the wise and talented Lisa Wilson. Number nine, support local theater. Number eight, if you have an idea and you want to produce it, find some people who are going to encourage you. Number seven, start writing riffs. Write a couple of pages that have to do with what you want to talk about. Number six, writing must be speakable. Write so your words can be spoken. Number five, submit your work for awards and grants. Number four, learn how to put together little grants. Number three, ask for help from your friends. Number two, tell your story and amplify it. And the number one piece of advice, be Be vulnerable. vulnerable. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Thanks to Lisa Wilson for taking time out to talk about women's voices and putting up a one-person show. Next week, I'll post an interview with another Lisa, theater education proponent, actor, and director, Lisa Stefanik. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in Pal stands for Performing Arts Lab. Check out my blog. It's sallypal.com. Be sure to share with your friends and anyone you think might be interested. Also, you can find Sally Pal on iTunes, Podbean, and now on Stitcher. Of course, you can always find the blog and the podcast on my website, sallypal.com. Look for my posts on Twitter and Facebook, and be sure to let me know how you feel about Sally Pal the blog or Sally Pal the podcast. If you like it, press the like button. And if you really like it, please do share and help me get the word out. And now I have just one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? No husband has ever been killed by his wife while doing the dishes. Wise words indeed, George. Wise words indeed. Remember, all the performances you've seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Thanks so much for listening. The podcast and blog benefit from your comments. Sally Pal episodes are posted on Monday evenings, so spread the word. I'm still working on my free ebook to help you organize your production. Look for it soon on sallypal.com. I want to help you learn to produce and direct original shows. It's what I do, and you can too.
Think about you.